0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast which we the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In the Star fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from the Superhero FX Podcast.
1: And I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast.
0: And today we're talking about Minute 87, which begins with High Noon between Thor and the Destroyer and ends with Thor looking like he's... Uh, dying basically let's talk about it joining us on the show today as every day this week we have movie by minutes guest favorite father david maury the chaplain of the movie by minutes community uh father david great to have you back um you're talking before about how you kind of like grew up a geek what what was your introduction with comic books and marvel like how where was that a, a part of your personal mythology
2: that came much later in life honestly um Star Wars was fine in the Maori household growing up. Indiana Jones was fine. Superheroes not as fine. Uh, I remember very clearly when my mom was going to be away for a, a long trip. Uh, she left notes for the babysitter saying, "No TV shows with men in spandex." <laughs> <And it> was, <laughs> it was very, very clear. Now, to, because I had a very active imagination as a young boy, and my poor younger brother t- suffered sometimes from various games that I would come <laughs> up with that game. So she didn't need me drawing any more in. Sp- from Punch 'em Ups. So it wasn't until I was maybe a little bit older, maybe like eight or nine, my uncle gave me an old paperback collection of Spider Man comics. Mm. And it was just a little pocketbook edition. And that was my introduction. I, I was vaguely aware of Spider-Man and Superman and Batman and various superheroes, but that was the first time delving into that story. And so I read that thing over and over and over again. I can still picture the panel where Spider-Man is, is emptying his web cartridge as a big sticky pool to trap the Scorpion as he's fighting him for the, in the, the character's introduction. And that really sparked my my interest and my imagination. Now, over the years, my introduction to Marvel was mostly through TV shows, a few episodes of the X-Men cartoon, here and there, some episodes. Uh, I, I have distant memories of seeing Iron Man fighting um, the, the Mandarin on some poorly animated <laughs> TV show. I can't remember what exactly I was watching. And so I was aware enough of the the Marvel heroes. When it came to Thor, I I was actually more aware of the Norse god mm. than I was of the Marvel superhero. I was very invested in mythology when I was a kid. I did a lot of reading of Greek myths and a little bit of the Norse myths and was familiar with stories of Thor and Loki and Ragnarok and the giants, Mjolnir and all those other larger than life stories. And so when I heard that, oh yeah, there's a superhero version of Thor, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, of course that makes complete sense. He's already the larger-than-life character. And I didn't have... Going into this movie when it first came out, I didn't have a lot of expectations for the character itself. I I had all the the mythological... symbolism in my head and how the character usually is, uh, plus the very uh, studious research I was doing on TV tropes all the way through my high school years. So that gave me enough of a background to appreciate the comics version of the character uh, in time to see this film adaptation of it.
0: Nice, nice. So so we're continuing this showdown moment. We, we talked kind of about Thor having this moment of sacrifice, and you know, as often happens, the great dramatic speech is broken up in the middle of a minute. It's very rude by film directors. They should know how we're going to approach these things. <laughs> but but we hear he finally puts into words what's been emphasized this whole time. You know, before he was saying like, "Don't protect." You know, they're not the ones who who want. They're innocent, and so he says, "So take mine and end this." What this, this is the end. Of, this is that sacrifice, right? He's saying like, mm-hmm. "Take me, kill mm-hmm. me, and spare everyone else."
2: end this, I think, is the important piece of this, because Thor isn't doing this for glory. He's not doing it for his own legend. He wants this to end, with all this violence, all of this terror for these innocent people, and not not just uh, Jane and the Scooby gang behind him, but also all the people in Puente Antiguo that he was concerned about a few minutes ago. And this for all of them, that is what I am offering my life to do, not for my own sake, but just so this can finally be settled.
0: And here's an important part. We talked before about Thor being kind of naive. Uh, I've, I've heard him often as being kind of the um, the progenitor of the himbo trope that has now become a thing that's often talked about. And I have a theory here that I'm curious if you all agree with, is that often where the setup is you have to be okay having nothing, being nothing, in order to get everything back. You know, because as as we, spoilers, we know that this moment of humility is going to lead to Thor getting back all the power and ability it doesn't have. But to me, the, the, there all can be a cynical kind of view of, well, but if you know that, how much are you really accepting your own death if you know you're going to be resurrected? How much are you accepting the loss of all your power if you know you have all your power? For me, I feel like, and here kind of Thor's naivete works for him. I don't think he has any sense that if he does this, like Odin will be like, ah, OK, cool. You finally did it. Is, is that your sense as well here? There's none of that sort of like cunningness here. It is just he fully ex- expects this is it. This is a, everything.
2: He doesn't know anything about the conditional return of Mjolnir. Mm-hmm. He knows all he knows is that he can't lift Mjolnir. Right. And he has taken that to heart and interiorized that and made a very healthy and mature decision to move forward with his life in this new reality. I, I was watching the movie the other day and thinking, boy, this needed to be like a three or four episode miniseries. Cause we just needed a little more character development time with Thor for him to really process this change for me to really believe it. It, it works because Crim Sandsworth really sells it. But the that change is a big one in Thor's character. And it's what makes this moment authentic. He is simply offering himself as he is now, as someone who is just a man. I can't pick up Mjolnir. I, I am not an Asgardian warrior anymore. I'm not going back with the Warriors 3. This is my home now on Midgard. I'm going to make a life for it. And even the life that I've started to make, I'm going to be willing to offer because that that's the warrior spirit. In Thor. That's what motivated him in Asgard. The life I have is for the sake of Asgard, but it's also for Thor. Now he's able to offer his life just for Midgard, just for Jane, just for the, the people that he's grown in love and affection for.
1: And And to your point, Matthew, I mean, he very much has always I mean, he's never been banished before, but he's always been of the mindset. Well, if if I get in trouble with dad. Okay, he might take my hammer away, but you know I get it back every time, and so yeah, it's it is this big shift for him, and I think that he really has just kind of come to accept this is it. I, I don't think there's anything in his head thinking, uh, you know, I'm this is how I I get
2: back to where I was. Yeah, Thor, you've been very naughty, so I'm putting Mjolnir on the top of the <laughs> Norse <laughs> fridge. <laughs> Yeah. And you'll get it back once you've gone to your room and thought about what you've right. done.
0: Especially because one thing I'm really struck by is, is how little Thor knows of what's actually happening. As you said, Father David, he doesn't – he wasn't there when Thor, Odin kind of, as we've debated, like cast the spell or did the voice-activated command for Mjolnir whatever it is. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Although you have to say, hey, Mjolnir, for that really to that direction. Um, but but also, like, Loki okay, told yeah, him yeah. all of these things. And, and Loki did a very good job. Like, there was some half-truth, some total lies. And all Thor knows is that one of those things is a lie, that, that Odin is still alive. And so Thor would have to be in this place of, like, well... So does that mean that everything Loki said was wrong? Does it mean that some—he has so little idea. And I feel like that lack of knowledge is also what really makes this moment so powerful, is that he's just—he doesn't need to know. He's just—there's people here, people who he's never met, people who he used to think of as just like, yeah, they're guardians, They're not real. Um, and he's willing to sacrifice for them. Mm-hmm. And so let's get—what I was kind of teasing yesterday, what has been my favorite theme of this whole movie, Loki, and what is he thinking— because we then cut to him and we see him with this like, again, I mean, Tom Hiddleston's acting is just so good. The way he expresses things without saying a word. He looks kind of like he, he's not, he's pensive. He's, he's obviously got so much emotion. And he just makes this hand moment of, uh, he touches the, the, the arm of the table of the throne and, and i'm uh, just in terms of the, the power of it, I'm kind of curious like is he just is this just him like putting his arm down as he's thinking? Is this him hitting a control of some kind but but most importantly, like what's he thinking? What do you think is in his mind right now
2: we're We're made to guess over these minutes because Loki gives nothing away yeah. in his face. It's completely unchanging. He is clearly taking a lot in, and it's open to interpretation with. The hang going down and the destroyer's face closing up were made to think, oh, Loki's going to let... Thor live and we're going to end this because Loki doesn't actually want to kill Thor? Is this another classic Loki misdirection kind of thing where he was saying one thing, but now he's going to do something else? And that I think the hand gesture is is simply a a note of finality. Loki has made a decision. His, His body language is now open. He's communicating that I'm not holding anything in tension. I've resolved. I'm relaxed into whatever's going to come next. And that's it's going to give us this very, very minor moment of like, oh, well, maybe this is all going to work out OK. The way that I read it, which I I,
1: I think is an interesting comparison, uh, is that it feels a little bit like the emperor at uh, kind of the, the Roman watching the Roman gladiators, mm. right? And w- I mean, he doesn't do a thumbs up or thumbs down, but it certainly involves like a gesture of the arm. And here it's like that. I mean, it is a definitive like he, he, he drops his arm and it does feel like. That's the point he's made a decision of how he's moving forward. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I find it to be really interesting, subtle, but really interesting gesture that he does here.
0: Yeah. And, and so then the fire shuts down and and the destroyer kind of takes a step in the other direction as he was walking away. And then, you know, slams Thor across the face and the chest. We'll talk about the effects of that in a second.
1: Before we get to the destroyer hitting, though, I just want to talk about that shot of Thor, because I, I think there's an a interesting moment yeah. that we have of Thor because we see that close up shot of him and he's got this little small smile that pops up on his face. And it's it's a you know, I don't know. I guess it's a question I have is like, is he feeling like this is a moment of victory? Did he actually get through to Loki and good one out um or or like what's happened here? I, I find it to be just such an interesting moment that he has that smile here. what
2: did, What did you both read from that? It, it Again, it, it's hard to say. It's open to interpretation. I think this is part of the fake out that Branagh is doing with his direction in this scene where Thor is saying, oh, well, here's, here's my brother Loki. He's being reasonable. I managed to get through to him. I think it's also possible to read that as Thor going, okay. Here we go. Uh, just, all right. Let's just kind of get on with it. I know what's coming next. I know. All right. Yeah. going to turn around and walk away. And then I get hit. Oh, surprise, surprise. So I, th- there's I think there's two different ways, like the the hopeful note of reconciled brothers or the knowing smile of like, uh, OK, all right, I'll let him have this. Yeah,
0: I, I think I think it's all of that. I, I always ask a little bit of the third one, which is that. On some level, Thor is stealing Loki's thunder, no pun intended there, <laughs> you know, in that, like, <laughs> mm-hmm, if Lo- mm-hmm. Loki might want Thor to beg for mercy, you know, that, that Loki is like, ha ha, I win. I, and and by Thor saying, go ahead, brother, kill me. Now Loki is doing what Thor wants one more time, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just, it's this. And, and I do think that's a little part of, I, I want to know from you all why you think Loki, You you know, does the backhand instead of the fire. There's a a number of things to get there. But for me, I I think that's a little part of what 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 Loki's also doing in it, because part of what I see in that moment is a little bit of resignation. It's decision, but it's also like, okay, I wanted Thor to beg. I wanted to have this great moment of triumph. I'm not going to get that, but I'm still going to end this. Mm hmm. So so then we see the the fire shut down, and and like you said, there's a small moment where you think maybe he's going to go okay, and the destroyer steps away and then just backhands Thor really hard. We see Thor flying through the air in 2011 CGI and crashing, rolling over, and seeming to kind of breathe his last breaths. Why Why do it this way? Why not just use the fire, which is, I, I think, kind of the, the guarantee, you know, D&D rules, like you got the instant spell kill, or you got the <laughs> thing that will probably do enough hit points damage to kill. Why do it this way?
2: It's so needlessly cruel. Mm. It is toying with. Thor's expectation to take that step away is to imply that it is over, I'm ending it. And then with the backhand, I mean, in a honor culture that Asgard is, this is worse than death. Mm -hmm. Loki is taking advantage of Thor's vulnerability and not doing him the honor of a full forward-facing attack at the fullest power of strength. Instead, I'm going to casually toss my hand and backhand you across because you're not even worth my time. You're beneath me. And so there's a little moment of Loki trying to grab some domination over Thor, trying to get around with just what you said. though, Okay, I'm going to kill you, but I'm going to kill you in the most humiliating way possible. I'm not going to give you a warrior's death. I'm going to treat you like garbage.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's an interesting, um, uh, I mean, one, I mean, the way that it's done, it's so fast, so intense. The sound design is so loud. I mean, they really design it in a way where it seems intensely painful. I mean, it really does. Well, the sound design, I mean, his skull is broken
2: into a million pieces. (laughs) Oh, oh, it
1: just makes me cringe every time I hear it. It is brutal. It really is. Um, But (laughs) um, what I I think is interesting, and I don't know if this is also part of the intention, but perhaps – by doing it this way also i there could be an interesting element that there's perhaps in thor's head and this might speak to what thor says afterward that this method actually also meant i mean despite you know despite the fact that it is a very backhanded literally way to kind of to defeat him it also is a way that theoretically might be more um, compassionate toward everyone else here. And it might be a sign to Thor that Loki is willing to say, I'm going to kill you, but I'll honor your hmm. request, and I will end this. I'm not going to use mm-hmm. the blaster because it's very easy to move this thing's head around and just burn everything. Um, I'm just going to do this because I can take you out, and then I'll leave everyone else. So it's there is an interesting element there that I think might be a, a little acknowledgement from Loki saying, you know what, okay, I'm going to kill you, but that's it.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, 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 again with Hiddleston's acting and with with Loki, there's so much you can see in it. Um, yeah, true. The, the one thing that I think might be a part of it, and again, I, I know that Branagh did some digging into this. I don't know how much, but in the Norse mythology itself, Loki is often portrayed as sort of like representing air and wind because he is so fickle, because he is so quick to change his mind. He's very impulsive. Mm. He's often described as a figure who kind of his mind will figure out the right thing to do, but just that he can't resist that impulse. Um, in a uh, one of the Norse sacred texts, I'm going to completely butcher this, the Gilf- the Gilfangening, I think it's pronounced, um, he's referred to as uh, beautiful and calmly to look at, evil in spirit, very fickle in habit. And there's often these moments where, like, he's 99% has done the right thing, he starts to turn away, and then he just has to say that one last thing, do that one last <laughs> thing. And so, again, I don't know if that's intentional or not, but I think one of the way to read it is that there's a part of him that's like, oh, if Thor's not going to bet, this isn't going to be any fun. All right, fine, never mind. And so he starts to shut down, but then has that, nah, and just smacks him across, you know. And yeah, so I, yeah. I, I love it because I think you can read any of these things into that moment.
2: Truly, yeah. And he flies, what, 50 feet, 60 mm-hmm. feet yeah. down this road and just thrown like a ragdoll. Yeah. And then, then tumbles. So he still has momentum, still right. has energy by the time he hits the ground. He is super dead. Yeah, it's <laughs> great. Yes, yeah, uh, like at least
1: half a block is what I wrote down, you know, from the huntsman uh-huh. all the way past Arturo's in yeah. Puente Antigua language. So.
0: <laughs> and I did think it's an interesting shot because we've had a number of times where Thor hit people with his hammer, the frost giants especially, mm-hmm. and they went flying mm-hmm. in a very similar kind of a way. So I do yep. think there's supposed to be a little bit of a, a connection there.
1: That's actually a really good point, the fact that there is a very direct comparison in the way that that Loki chooses to essentially use his own hammer against his brother there. I I like Mm
0: -hmm. that quite a bit. Uh, And so now we get a slow motion shot of him flying and of Jane running to him saying, no.
2: We just have a moment of appreciation for the print on Jane's shirt because that is a great... (laughs) t-shirt it's so great it's so great
1: yeah we i can't remember we talked about it when we first when she was first in it it's it's such a great fun design and i just love the fact that there have been so many comparisons to is this is this the same character that was in loki were they this far forward thinking but no totally totally different (laughs) but still Mm -mm. fun Mm -hmm. comparisons a fun thing for sure (laughs) yeah
0: and i have to say i think i have been um i blame Zack snyder that just Slow motion now has no effect on me anymore, but I'm sure in the in the original viewing <laughs> this moment it's probably a, a very helpful thing. I also though saw the way that she runs around and leans over to him. I, I, I think it has to be intentional. It really, I think it's very similar to the shot of when she hits him with a car and then kind of rushes out and shows the concern. You know, it's one more time he, but this time he actually is broken on the ground and she, and and she has much more of an emotional connection. So it's it's the same shot, but so much else mm-hmm. is happening here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, especially with the lines here. I mean, like this this brief conversation they have here. I mean, it carries a lot of weight, and and I love the way that it plays between the two of them. And I mean, I know it's a very fast romance, yada yada yada. But in context of as we've been saying, the romantic comedy elements of this story, I buy the romance. I buy this connection that these two people have. And in this in this kind of these dying breath uh, breaths that that Thor has here, I mean, it's it's very powerful in his feeling resolute in the fact that he has stopped this from happening and he's managed managed to actually save everyone yeah the uh, i have
2: i just in my notes have very christological dialogue uh, <laughs> written down for this moment because thor's line it's over evokes for me jesus's line on the cross it is finished and there is a moment where even though thor has been absolutely destroyed by the destroyer in, in a way that PG-13 uh, conventions cannot fully grasp. Uh, <laughs> the boys would have shot he, this
0: very differently. So just oh, say. my gosh. Oh, uh, he would, there would,
2: he would just be, there'd be bloody teeth That's coming weird. out with every line. Anyway, uh, th- here he is still in control of the moment that his sacrifice is his choice, and he is able to go when he chooses to, which is a big theme in the Gospel of John, that Jesus goes to his hour uh, of glory and and choosing to go to the cross and choosing to lay down his life. And that's reflected here in Thor where he gets the dying speech with Jane. And it's over because Jane is safe. And that evokes the, the Christian understanding of Jesus dying for the sake of the church, that Jesus goes to the cross not for his own glory, but because he is sent for the sake of the world. He's sent to save those who have faith in him. And he, then he, he breathes his last. We have a great big dramatic sigh, which I always love in movies because you know, this, there's just the trope of the dying breath, which you know sounds so much more pleasant than it actually is <laughs> in real life. Um, but there you, for me at least, it evokes that handing over of the spirit where, where Jesus cries out with a loud voice and breathes his last. And there is no doubt in the Gospels that Jesus is dead. And we have the same moment here where Thor breathes his last, face is placid, unmoving. Jane is left distraught over his body. So there, there was a lot of rich. Um crucifixion and death of Jesus kind of imagery and dialogue that came out of this, which again, doesn't surprise me. This is something that Branna picks up from his study of Shakespeare, because Shakespeare loves the dying speech. He loves the last words. And I think that also comes out of Shakespeare's Christian imagination, that even the hero at the point of death is still going to be able to have the breath to say what needs to be said before he dies. And it's what Jesus does. It's what Hamlet does. It's, it's what all the great, Shakespearean heroes do, and it's what Thor gets to do as well.
0: I, I really love the way he phrase that. And because to me, it is such a sacrificial moment he's getting here, especially because it's one thing for a person who has nothing to give it up, you know, like you've got nothing to lose. And this story could have been Thor is no longer heir to the throne, he's no longer the god of thunder, he doesn't have Mjolnir, he doesn't have power, he's got nothing, so why not die? But but Branna and the writers have done something really powerful in that they've shown him go through all that and then start to find a life worth living on, on Earth, you know, and that one of the things that he really has is this wonderful – he's got the potential friendship with Eric. He's got the potential friendship with all – and he has this potential love with – jane that's building and i a few weeks ago i talked about kind of the dog that didn't bark in that that wonderful rooftop scene he doesn't put his arm around her he doesn't snuggle he doesn't kiss her and and what would and so in some ways like there's this one there's this incredible unrequitedness of you know they both feel this you know the path that he could have taken could have been this you know quite livable life and and to me that makes it all the more powerful is that he's it's not just that he's like giving his life up it's that he has this wonderful potential that he could have had with jane among other things and that he's surrendering all of that
2: it evokes uh, medieval courtly romances yes, as yeah. well. Uh, Thor is a knight and he is always exercising his chivalry appropriately with Jane, even though he is romantically interested in her. There's the chaste kiss on the hand, uh, which in a courtly romance is, oh, that's very spicy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, he, and here as the knight, he has gone to face the monster for the sake of, uh, of the beloved and is willing to lay down his life. Uh, Not in spite of his love for the other, but because of that love for the other. And so that idea of courtly romance is always operative in Thor. It's why I love I love the moment right before he goes back to Asgard where Jane plants one on him. Like, oh, this is how we do it on Midgard. (laughs) This this is how uh, we say goodbye in Austria. And I I love that moment.
0: Yeah. Like chivalry is a term that gets used kind of pretty. Pretty often today, but in, in a very classical sense, like Thor is a this is an act of chivalry of surrender of mm. of sacrifice that he's making. Yeah, yeah, and so and then we get you know Jane is clearly upset, and I like as as again as part of that the the shot of stiff as well. That's because I I think you're right. What what we've seen so far, there's nothing to indicate that stiff and Thor have had any kind of actual romance together. But I think we have had a strong indication that Sif certainly might have feelings in that regard, that she might want that, um, or at least that mm-hmm. she has uh, that, that her connection to him is a little bit different than the Warriors three is. And so I think having it both Jane and him both have that moment, I think, is is, is intentional and kind of a nice beat.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a relationship that. Um, I mean, they'll they do more with in the second film, even though very little. But still, it's it's one of those things mm-hmm. that uh, I like the way that it does play here. Isn't
2: that just the tagline for Thor too? <laughs> more, but very <laughs> <right>. <laughs> you know,
1: The um, but yeah, the the element of of uh Sif in in this moment uh does feel and and throughout the film it does. I I like your point. It does feel like she has. A a personal connection with Thor. And, you know, it's interesting. And and I think part of that is just the nature of the fact that she is an individual. And the Warriors Three are treated as a a trio. And they're Mm -hmm. very often, I mean, we have all of them and, you know, all of their silliness that's been scripted and, and shot and cut and all that. But they really are treated as this group here. And then there's Sif. And it allows for that stronger personal connection with SIF. And I, I am glad that we have that.
0: Definitely. Well, I think that's about all I had to say about this minute. I, there's a lot more with what SIF I'm going to say in the next minute. Um, but anything else from either of you that we want to get into about uh, minute 87 here? Is it time to uh, uh, open up the pulpit again?
2: <laughs> I well, you know, I, I think I I hear a call coming for Christ and the Cape, so I have uh, today's segment. And what what was really interesting, like Matthew, you mentioned yesterday, that we have the death and resurrection scene of a god figure in these minutes, and that made me think about the the very different ways in which the originating myths of Thor differ in their approach to death than the story of Jesus. Um, so you look at the poetic Eddas, and Odin is talking with a, a oracle-type figure who predicts the death of Thor at Ragnarok. Thor comes to grips with the giant serpent of, of Doomsday, and there's this titanic struggle between Odin's son and the great serpent. And Thor is victorious, but he takes nine steps— and then succumbs to the venom of the great serpent and dies. And that sums up especially the Norse view of death. There's a certain fatalism that breathes through those old Norse myths that death is inevitable even for the gods. And even if the gods are going to lose on Ragnarok, still we're on the side of the gods. And that that spirit animates a lot of the very harsh world that we we lived in as a human species. Like death was unavoidable. There's nothing that we could do about it. And therefore, in the face of death, one nobly struggles, one fights to the best of one's ability, and there may even be a victory, but ultimately there is going to be a succumbing to weakness and to death. But still, there's, a, a, there's something to be valued there in Thor's death in the poetic Edda. The death of Jesus is very different. Jesus does not die an honorable death, Jesus does not go down fighting. He is victimized all the way through. He is clearly not in control. Even for all of the theology in the Gospel of John where Jesus is in control of laying down his life and no one can take it from me, still that looks like losing in worldly terms. He submits to the kangaroo court of the the high priests and the the Pharisees. He is sentenced to death by a foreign governor of an occupying power in Palestine. In Pontius Pilate, he is crucified using an instrument of state torture by the Roman Empire and hung with other common criminals. Here there is no Titanic struggle at the end of all things, where even if he dies, he succumbs to the wounds of a battle well fought. He bleeds out, he he breathes his last on the cross. And so here again is this acceptance of the reality of death, as in the Norse myths. But there's something less mythic about it, something much more raw, more human, something that embraces the ugliness of this reality of death that we live with. And then on the third day, Jesus rises from the dead, and it's a complete break with any understanding of death in its reality because Jesus is as dead as a doornail. In this movie, Thor is dead for eh, 30 seconds, maybe a minute, <laughs> and then he, come, he comes right back. So there's a debate like, well, did he the faint? Did he the defibrillators could still bring Thor back. Yeah, just enough lightning. And we see that elsewhere with Thor. Enough lightning can, can bring someone back. Jesus is in the tomb. He is dead and buried, and he comes back from the dead. And so in the Christian presentation of death, it's presented as something very real, but something that does not have the last word. Whereas in the Norse myths, death is very real. And ultimately, death has the last word. Now, there are various interpretations for what Ragnarok means, whether it is the the death that brings about a a cycle of rebirth. But I think you can debate the influence of Christian translators when looking at those kinds of things because that's what we as Christians do. We read the resurrection into everything. We just can't (laughs) help it. It's it's who we are. Um, But this story of Thor seems to take more from the story of Jesus than the story of the poetic Edda, where Thor has all of his power stripped from him. He is in this position of weakness. He is backhanded. He is not given an honorable warrior's death and goes to... I don't think he would end up going to Valhalla for this kind of death. I don't know if this would qualify in the, the Norse uh, manner of thinking.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting question. And I there's two things I want to say there. One, just kind of going off the thing of the, 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 the Christ story of the, the conquering of death. My, my favorite line from any Christian hymn comes from a song that's sung most Easter Sundays, at least in a lot of Protestant churches, I'm returning Catholic. Christ, the Lord is risen today. And the end of one of the verses is, where's thy victory boasting grave? Which I've always taken as mm-hmm. basically trash talking death, you know? And, and, <laughs> and, and, and yes. it, it's, it, and I think there's, there's going to be a, that metaphor is going to carry over because to me, one of the, the powers of it is the saying like, okay, Jesus is willing to say to the powers of the world, the very worst thing you can do is kill me. What else you got? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and exactly. which is kind of what Thor is going to do as well with Loki in the next minute. Um, you know, that same level of like, all right. You, you sent the little destroyer here. I still am, um, and, and I also really love the what you're because kind of what I was saying before about that. The, yeah, the, there's always that danger that when Christians are telling a story, or even I don't think Brana is like trying to be, you know, evangelical with this movie. It's just that he's a person raised in a Christian culture, and so that those are the mm-hmm. eyes with which we see everything. You know, I mean mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the Harry Potter ending, that so many of the Superman stories, but especially Zack Snyder's mm-hmm. version, um, mm-hmm. and and I. Like I, I spent some time with some folks from the Osset true faith who are you know, the people who are continuing to practice the Nor- the Norse pagan beliefs. And this is something that they often talk about is how do we how do we sort of like identify what's the original of such a thing exists versus the 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 Christian translations of it? And and I, I love what you're saying there about this this moment for him, because I think it it even just taking it back to the story itself of like your question of would he go to Valhalla I think in some ways, this is the thing that makes him Odin's son more than anybody else. Because Odin is, you know, the one who, as we learn in Ragnarok, he used to be the one who wanted to conquer everything. He used to think that glory came on the battlefield. He's been willing to step aside to say, no, that's not how we win. That's not how we do things. And in some ways, I feel like for Thor to do that, at least in this version of the story, like, I think that Odin would look at this and go, yeah, no, you should be in Valhalla. Because it's the... Mm -hmm. The, 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 that moment of kind of recognizing, like, glory doesn't come only on the battlefield. Glory can come through sacrifice. Glory can come through surrender. In, in some ways, he's done—in some ways, it's a warrior's death because it's the bravest thing you could possibly do.
2: Yeah, in the um, in my study of some of the old English sources that Tolkien was working with as he was putting together The Lord of the Rings, uh, there's a classic Norse poem, The Dream of the Rude, which— presents Jesus as a kind of Norse warrior figure, where the the meekness, the Lamb of God aspects of Jesus are downplayed somewhat, (laughs) and Jesus presenting as this heroic figure that strides to the cross and springs upon the wood of the cross and goes to face death. And it's, it's a sign of that evangelizing spirit where there is a desire to present the figure of Jesus, but using those cultural motifs of warrior, of strength, of bravery, and the the dream of the root as as a poem I think works in that regard because it does translate the the story of Jesus into terms that people raised in the stories of Thor and Loki and Odin and Ragnarok would understand
0: yeah uh, well, I think we could go on this. Uh, we're going to have our own theology broadcast at some point. Um, <laughs> I, I want to close by just asking you a completely different question, but it's one that um, uh, you brought up. I, I went back and listened to your appearance on the Iron Man minutes, which was really mm. great. And on a, a tangent, you got into a whole thing about how disappointed you were that the ten rings that were introduced in the first Iron Man movie got – you did not love the way it was paid off with the Mandarin and, and all that in Iron Man 3. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to kind of bring us back to that topic you you (laughs) brought up. Now that we have the real story of the Ten Rings told, have you seen Shang-Chi? And so do you want to revisit your thoughts on uh, how, how that story has come about?
2: I have to admit, I'm behind on the SU okay. right okay. now. Life has been kind of crazy. <laughs> so I, I haven't seen Shang-Chi We're, we're nine days till uh, Christmas
0: and you're a practicing pastor. It's not a busy time for you at all, is it? No, not at all. No, I just got plenty of time. Okay. I'll, I'll, we'll have you back so, up the Tuesday before Easter. That's another sort of light time for you. Your work. Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah, whole, yeah. Doing nothing during Holy Week. That's when everyone calls like, oh, hey, Father, do you have a minute? No, I have <laughs> no minutes. <laughs> well, yeah, I,
0: I, we are recording this in the time of Advent. Christmas is coming up soon so i want to particularly acknowledge you making the time for this now is greatly appreciated but Absolutely. andy please make a note the next time we get father david on ask him again if he's seen shang chi because yes. I, I would love You've to got your homework I, I would love to know how <laughs> okay, you I'm feel about that how down. that story gets resolved because it, it felt like a lot of that movie is kind of a uh, like sorry we're, we're gonna make up for what we did there
2: so.
0: <laughs> awesome. um, well great well Father David, thank you again so much. Uh, Tell our folks again the the website where they can find all your podcasts.
2: Uh, You can find all of that cataloged at fatherdavidmowry.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at at F-R-Mowry. That's M-O-W-R-Y.
0: Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being a part of this. We're looking forward to the rest of this week. Andy, as always, thank you for all the things you do to make this possible. Um, I mean, I get to be the host here. Andy does all the work, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, And to our fans, you're the ones who make this possible. Thank you so much, and have a great day.